Now I declare the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. Word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that is your portion today in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the word, the word of God will enter your heart. Amen. The light of God will enter your heart. Amen. The healing power of God will enter your heart. Amen. The power of the Holy Spirit will enter you afresh. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This season will be a greater season than ever before for you in Jesus' name. Amen. By reason of the entrance of the word that's coming for today. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, can you just greet somebody on your left and your right? Bless the person, not just say, how are you? How are you? It's not a greeting. All right? It's a question. Tell the person, God bless you. You're welcome to the table of feasting. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right, let's open our Bibles again to continue what we do all the time, which is study the Word of God. And today we're going to start from the book of um, Hebrews chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2. When we began this, I gave it the title, Neither Momoyi. But the Holy Spirit has um, kind of focused me in or a wider direction. That's, I think that's a better way to put it, a wider direction. So that even though we are talking about that, I'm speaking more on the reason why we should not murmur. And that's what I'm going to continue to speak about today. Now let's open to the book of Hebrews chapter 2, just so we'll get some adequate reading. I'll start from verse 1, but where I'm going is quite some distance down. I'll find where I'll stop along the line. It says, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. What is the reason? It's because, just so we'll get it um, in proper context, is because Jesus is greater than the angels, and that um, the former covenant was given through angels to Moses, but Jesus came by himself to introduce this new covenant. He said, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. So it's possible to drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unutterable, that's the one given to Moses, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? When it says neglect, here, bear it in mind, put it in the context of verse 1. It is that you heard it, you did not pay attention, then it slipped away from you. You drifted away from it. He said we will not escape if we neglect so great a salvation. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, that is the apostles. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he did not, now it's back to what he was saying. This one is kind of parenthetical. Verse 5 now, 
He said, for it did not subject to angels the world to come. He's talking again now about the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ when it's compared to the angels. He said, did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Said, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now, we do not yet see all things subjected to him. That is, you see a scripture here saying, what is man? Okay? You have put everything under his feet. So the writer here is now telling us, but we do not see everything in subjection under the feet of man that we know. He said, but, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels. That is Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, that is that's how he was made for a little while lower than the angels. He said, we do see him crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom and all are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. I need to read that again. That Jesus has been, we have seen everything subjected to him. He was made a little while lower than the angels. We've seen him crowned with glory and honor. Now, for it was fitting, he said, for a little while, because of the suffering of death, it was fitting for him to go through that. Verse 10, for, he said, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that is Jesus who sanctifies, and us, we believers, who are sanctified, are all from one Father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That is, in this context, we and Jesus are from one Father. We are his brethren. He's saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. So you see that there. In verse um, 13, it says, And again, I will put my trust in him, and behold, I and the children whom God has given me. He said, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless he who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. I'm going to stop reading this one here. Oh, no, sorry. I think we should read some more, all right? For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he, he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, and he continued to um, write. Now, but I'm going to stop reading that one there. The Lord is good. Now, why did I read this? This is our main text for today. What we are trying to you know, bring out is 
what, of what I, I started, I named it neither Momo Yi, but what we have been bringing out in the last few meetings, you will notice, is that we have been called to a deeper walk with God. We have been called to a higher realm of operation. We have been called to a, a more serious, you know, handle of life. That is, we should take life more seriously. We are going beyond the Christianity of let's solve our immediate problems. And we are trying to solve, can I use the expression, the problems of God. That is, God has a need. God has something that he is trying to do. We want to participate in what he's doing and have his purpose fulfilled on the earth. You know, it is a, you know, it's a great uh, mistake that we make in which Christianity is presented as a problem-solving um, is it method or religion, I want to say, for people. So that, you know, you just see it every, every time people gather, gather in church, it is how we will solve our problems. So Christ is presented as a problem solver for people. So when people go to meet him, the focus is on what? What we shall eat, what we shall drink, with what shall we clothe ourselves, how are we going to get promoted in life, how are we going to get what we call blessings in life. That's always the focus. And that is a very low level of Christianity, which Jesus specifically warned us not to participate in. He said to us clearly, these are the things that Gentiles do. When Gentiles go, listen, there are, I've never read, in a special African worship, anywhere they do idolatry, where to become the image of the idol is the focus. Have you ever seen anything like that? The, the ones that go into religion to change themselves don't even have real idols, really, that they are trying to worship. They just want to meditate and meditate and meditate, like things like Buddhism. Those who worship idols, the idols are messengers. They're just deceiving themselves that they are the gods. <laughs> They're actually these messengers. When I say messengers, like, what do we do to get food? We sacrifice something to the idol. It's a trade. You understand? So I give him goats. I give him cattle. And then in return, my wife will be fruitful. My ground will be fruitful. And there will be no trouble around. It's a deal we do with the gods. So they actually kind of run errands for us. They satisfy our needs. It, we are the focus, not them. Do you follow my point? They are just the agents through which we get what we want. But one thing that is unique about Christianity, and unfortunately, people not realizing that uniqueness, they operate Christianity like idolatry. They just change the name of the God. So the God is no longer Ogun. It's no longer Amadioha. It's not Obatala. The God is Jesus. So, like one man, I told his story here many times. Over the years, I've used him to illustrate a lot of things. The man said, and he, 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 he was an idol worshiper, and his wife was a Christian, and the children, they were Christians. And he didn't see anything wrong with what they were doing. He just felt they discovered another idol. And this one, one of the ones that the white people brought. So maybe they like it. So he left everybody, you know, worship your own idol. My own idol, you know, there are some things he carries. And then, of course, a lot of Christians also carry things. So for people like that, you know, your idol is different from my idol. But we're all doing the same thing. And they don't understand the quarrel. We shouldn't quarrel because where he comes from, in the same family, people have different idols that they focus on. There are families that their primary worship is for, like in the West, it will be Ogun. That's what they worship primarily. That's the main thing. Other people, their own focus to be on Oya. And all of these people worship all these gods. But each person seems to focus on a particular one. So this man's attitude was, listen, you guys just have another idol. And so the day Jesus met him, he was pretty surprised. Like, ah, what's going on here? You know, what I mean is that he didn't know they were praying for him because they understood that he was in idolatry. But whether we like it or not, as a matter of fact, they were serving the true God. 
He was serving a false god. So they kept on praying for him until Jesus had to save him by force. So the Lord came to his room one day, told him to get up. He didn't see anybody, but like he said, if you have been in the occult, you know when a power bigger than you is talking to you. Somebody woke him up, he did not see who it was, and commanded him to pack all his idols into a bag and throw them into the river. And after he did that, the person left him alone for the next six months. It took him six months to know it was Jesus that encountered him. You understand my point? And made him forsake the other gods. But the point I'm making is that a lot of us treat Christianity like that. So we serve, you know, we offer thanks to the Lord Jesus, expecting him to give back to us the way our local gods do that. But unfortunately, that is not Christianity. Christianity, like I was saying, the other gods don't do that. The other religions don't do it. Christianity does one thing. It comes to making to the image of Jesus. That is the primary thing about Christianity. What did I say? It comes to do what? Say it louder. That's Christianity for you. It's not about solving your problems. Now, I want to say something that will surprise some people. If you, have, if you come from the background of word of faith, you may be surprised when I say this. If it takes him to leave your problems with you, to get that done, he will leave it there. Because that problem you think you have is less important to him than making you into what he created you to be. So if you want to solve your problem, stop harassing him about it. Make sure you find Jesus one way or the other. And pray and walk in such a manner that you are being turned into that image. It is when he's doing that in your life, he's turning you into his image, you are cooperating with him, that the problems disappear. But unfortunately, many of us want to be blessed while we still have the image of Oya. You know what's Oya? He's one of these Western gods, goddess. That one's a goddess. Some of us want to be blessed while we are seeing the image of Amadioha. Is there a god called Amadioha? Okay, I just want to be sure. Because I saw in our home movie, they see these things. So, lest you... <laughs> a lot of us want to be blessed. We are still behaving like Shongo. You know what they call Shongo? Shongo is the god of lightning in Western Nigeria. When he's angry, he'll be blazing. When he's angry, that's why you see lightning. <laughs> they said. Some people want to be blessed, and Ogun is the person they represent. Hot-tempered. Ogun is known for his hot temper. So those who worship him spend a lot of time appeasing him. Oh, yes, he did vex, eh? The guy can get angry. It was a real person, you understand? These guys lived at the time, okay? He gets angry, he beheads people. I think Ogun... He must have been one of the descendants of Jacob. Simeon. <laughs> Levi. He's known. Go to a village and kill everybody because they annoyed him. In, the, in Yoruba folklore, there's a, there's a practice, you know, we, we, we talked about the, the culture of faith. Remember our culture of faith series? That culture is what? The cloak of religion. That's what religion wears. So when you see religion outside, it's the culture of the people. All right? But so anytime you see people behave in a particular way, there is something they are worshipping. There is a way they are worshipping. So when you find people pour libation, it's not just a culture of the people. It's a worship of the people that is now libation. That is why Christians don't pour anything. You know what we do? We give thanks. Before, you know, traditional African worship, uh, culture, you want to take a drink, you, 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 know, you tilt a few, a, a few drops down. Why? For the gods. 
But it is forbidden. A Christian must never do that because idol worship. If you catch yourself doing it, wake up. Stop that habit. Even though you gave your life to Christ at the age of 70, never do it again. You are invoking evil spirits. Don't do that. Before we take a drink, what do we do? We give thanks. When they pour whatever they are pouring to, whether it's strong wine, weak wine, or water, <laughs> what you do is, Father, we thank you. And if you cannot say thank you and drink it, just say, Father, we thank you and throw it away. <laughs> you are getting what I'm going to say by that. I just coded something inside there. All right? But so what we do is give thanks. But there's something in Western Nigeria, one of those things that they do, an empty drink container, you don't keep it standing. Calabas they use those days. They don't keep it standing if it's empty. So traditionally in every home, if you have a calabash, that if you have a god, you know this G O R U R D, a god of um, you know, calabash, something like that, you always put it on the side, because traditionally it is believed that it invokes the wrath of Ogun, because it actually happened before while he was living. That one day he was traveling and he was weary, and he stopped somewhere and he saw a big, you know, what, what do they call that thing now? It's calabash. It's, it's, calabash is the open one. And the big god, you know, the G-O-U-R-D, of um, the one they use for tapping wine. So he found it on the ground. He and his, you know who his deputy was? Eshu. Eshu, Eshu. The, one, the god they call Eshu in Western Nigeria. That was Ogun's assistant. That one was a troublemaker. So you know, he and Eshu, they were going. And the god, they were so happy. He picked the thing to drink and found it was empty. And he killed the farmer. Killed his wife. Anybody he found in sight, he killed. It was that hot-tempered. So after that time, and he was a ruler. After he died, every, the culture began that lest he gets angry, make sure every empty container is on its side so that he will know from a distance. No, Jesus is not like that. Jesus will kill the tree. He doesn't kill people. You know, there was a time Jesus got angry too. Disappointment happens to everybody. Hope that it's deferred. Make the gods angry. <laughs> but Jesus did what? He killed the tree. Ogu killed the people. If I remember my history well, they say he will, out of anger, he can wipe out a village. So those who worshipped him, who worship him till now, they spend a lot of time trying not to get him angry. He's very impatient. What am I saying? Many Christians are the image of Ogun, and they want to be blessed. And Jesus said, let us be, let's, let's face it. Look at Ogun over there. Look at me here. Who do you resemble? Like, I know who your father is. I'm not doubting it. I'm just saying, who do you resemble? Okay, you don't say anything. You now call people saying, who do men say that he is? A descendant of Ogun or a descendant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, you say, check him. Look at it. In your anger, in your life, the way you behave, you are an exact representation of that guy over there. You are not like me. Like Isaiah said, he said, they are not his children. Is that Isaiah said of Jeremiah? They are not his children. That he was talking about the way they behaved. That these are not his children. Now what am I going to say? So that is why if you think you have problems, God has bigger problems than you have. What do I mean by bigger problems? You are trying to solve hunger problem, right? He is trying to solve his son, a child of his, behaving like an idol. That to him is a worse problem. So he will say, let's do it like this. This hunger is your portion. Until the anger is no longer your portion. 
So until you get to a point where, while you are hungry, you see the needy, you forget your hunger, and you go and help the needy. He's not going to answer you. Until disappointment do not turn you into killers, a, a killer of people. He's not going to answer you. So he keep on instructing you in the, with the word of righteousness until the spirit of God that he placed inside you begins to manifest. That's his own primary issue. You must understand that. That is the main thing God is doing. That, listen, go and check it. That is what is unique to Christianity. The people understand they are supposed to. That our aim here is to be like him. And John said that's what we are aiming for. We will be like him if we can see him as he is. That is the aim of Christianity, to be like him. Not to get from him. Many of the funny doctrines we practice, they wouldn't work if we had the right objective. Yes. What I mean is this. All these gifts so that you can collect. It's because collecting is what we are thinking of. So it's easy to sway us into it. All we are thinking of is how to collect. So it's very easy to sway us into give so you can collect. But nobody has taught us give so you can be like Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. But when Jesus wanted to teach along that line, he said, sell all you have, give to the poor. And people forget that's not where he stopped. What's the next line? They come and follow me. That follow me was his focus. If you have all these things, you will not follow me. So go and liquidate. And it's not new. You must understand that. When I say it's not new, that that's not the only time it was done. It's still being done till today. John G. Lake said, for him to follow the Lord into being an apostle to South Africa, he literally, literally had to sell all he had. He so sold all he had, he had to pray for transport money. To carry his wife, his children, and his co-workers to South Africa. Because Jesus said, listen, follow me. He said, sell all you have, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. Following him was a focus. Many of the wrong doctrines we practice is because we have a wrong focus in mind. If we had the right focus, they wouldn't even thrive. Those doctrines would not thrive. We think that the... the, the you no. Know, oh, God. I think I've, I've, I'm back to my... Personal apostolic work again. Forget this gospel of results. The only result that counts is Christ-likeness. I hope you're getting my point. The result that counts is Christ-likeness. The statement that Jesus made is still true. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and suffers the loss of his own soul? It's still true. Christians derive a doctrine from it, a statement from those days. And then when we began to grow and learn the gospel of prosperity, we rejected that statement. But I think we should bring the statement back. Now, this is what Christians began to say. Take the whole world and do what? Give me Jesus. I will be satisfied. Now, when we began to learn the gospel of um, prosperity, it's sad. I look back and I feel very bad. Solomon said, take hold of one and don't let go of the other. What we did was to let go of some great doctrines. We said, that's why Christians are poor. They say you take the whole world. Some believers are taking the whole world. Now, Christians are poor. Listen to me. That is an ungodly statement. That's other one. To say, take the whole world and give me Jesus is correct. The person was not saying take the whole world in itself. Like, 
I don't want anything. He was saying, Jesus is enough to satisfy me. Let's not take things out of context. Like one brother he shared a few days ago, I saw it. He said, nothing will satisfy if Jesus does not satisfy. I hope you are getting my point. He said, nothing will satisfy if Jesus does not satisfy. Let me see what I can get exactly how he said it. You must understand it. Nothing will satisfy, he said, if Jesus does not satisfy. Yes. Now, I, I use different words to say what he said, but let me give you the words he gave. He said, until Jesus is, not, is enough, nothing else will ever be. Are you getting my point? That was what men meant when they made that statement. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. Listen to me. That statement is good. It is correct. It is absolutely spiritual. I believe it now more than ever before. Before, of course, I had misunderstanding. So we say, no, I need to prosper. A lot of our prosperity preaching was pure worldliness. Until now, it is. A lot of our prosperity preaching is nothing but worldliness. We are attached to material things. We build one house, we want the next one. We want, and then we'll come, ah, one of our sisters told me, a woman came in their church, testified. She had made up her mind. Before the next few years is over, she will have 200 houses in Abuja, 200 houses and something like that, one ridiculous amount. And she was acquiring them day by day. Except that when is our current head of state stepped into power, he collected everything back and put the woman where she belonged, in the slammer. It was pure corruption. It was pure corruption. And she was in church testifying. Praise God. There are testimonies that we should be ashamed of. You know, they're, they're, maybe we'll start doing testimony time next year. I don't know. Here. I'm not bragging. It's, it's the word of God. Those who come to Kingdom for the first time, if you, know, if, you, if you are not used to it, when you hear us pray, you will know that our prayer is different. Yes. The prayer is always, God, search my heart. Anything that is, you know, those are the prayers we pray. Today, the word of God will be clear to me. I will have direction. It's prayer of holiness and righteousness. I don't even think Pastor Kim wants to buy a new car because he never prays about it. <laughs> He'll be leading us on serious things. He doesn't, do you get my point? He, can, he, he always didn't pray on serious matters. Instead of him to pray for a car and house, it's not as if he doesn't want a new car or want a big house. It's just that these are not prayer points. When the church gathers, these are not prayer points. They are not prayer points. They are th- Look, when we said, take the whole world and give me Jesus, we're saying the right thing. But when we became worldly, you know, some of the gospel, you see, the gospel is interesting. It's the kind of heart you have that will determine the kind of thing you hear. So when people who were worldly heard the gospel of prosperity, like um, Peter said, they twisted it to their own destruction. You hear me say it all the time, I believe in prosperity. I think that gospel is correct in itself, if you understand it well. It is correct. But you see, one of the things I've learned is that we must understand that when Jesus was speaking, he wasn't speaking to covetous people. The Bible was not written, you know, those promises, they were not written to worldly people. 
And many of those things actually don't, they are not activated in your life until Christ-likeness is perfected. Listen, let me explain what I say. When God made those promises, he made everyone to one person. Every single promise you find in the scriptures is made to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see all these noise people make, pray for that, you know, you know some of this, this modern-day Judaism that we practice is misunderstanding the gospel. The promises that you find, eh? they are to Abraham and to who? His seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And that seed is who? Christ. Good. So every promise that God made, he made to Christ. It is in Christ we claim those promises. I'll be getting my point. That's what I said at the beginning. Our aim is to be like Christ in reality. Then the promises of God are automatically ours. You must understand the way God is. He made a promise. He can't fail. Since Jesus came, there's no promise he made that can fail. The coming of Jesus was the fulfillment of all his promises. I'm going to say something here. All right? So when God would make, if you hear some statement in the scriptures, a lot of, now, when you hear those statements, they were made to Christ-like people. Jesus would teach his disciples. And he kept on saying something. If my, he said, abide in me. If my words abide in you. Now, those two phrases summarize everything required to claim the promises of God. What am I going to say? The promise of prosperity does not work for covetous people. I don't know whether you're catching what I'm saying here. If they are covetous, they can't activate the promise. So a lot of people have focused on prosperity and given it a bad name is because it appeals to their flesh. You want to have you two want to have, what's the name of that car that my children used to discuss in the house? That very fast one, you guys like to talk about. No, 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 no. The other one. Bugatti. Yeah. <laughs> you want to have a Bugatti too. You're not going anywhere. Are you getting my point? But you want a Bugatti. Then with the Bugatti, you want a limo. I need to pack them in the house that's as big as Puff Daddy's own. I don't know the size of Puff Daddy. I just look for somebody to mention. While your eyes fixed on the world, everything you want is on this earth. So when you hear the gospel that says, my God is a God of abundance, what you hear is my God can produce a Bugatti, he can produce a Cadillac limo, he can give me a house this size. So you start following that God, but your eyes are not on Jesus. Your eyes are on your Bugatti. You're not going anywhere. You don't even know what a Bugatti looks like. They could get you an old bit to paint it and write Bugatti on it, you will collect. Yes. You, you know, let me not get the distraction to something. I, 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 a series of um, documentaries I listened to this last week. When I, 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 this world, eh, worldliness. All those, let me just say quickly again. Any Christian that's looking for quick money, this is not a cause, not a prophecy. It's, I'm reading the instruction label of the container for you. Poverty is your portion. Are you getting my point? Yeah. All the Mavrodis of this world, they will collect your money. You know who's Mavrodi? Yeah, thank you. 
you know, I was seeing. Okay, I told you I listened to a set of documentaries this last week. I won't tell you the name. But it, it brought to light again for me something that's so sad. Pastors promoting pyramid schemes in their churches. You know pyramid schemes? Pastor wants everybody to, you know, to downline, yes. Come and register under him in church. If a pastor and you are listening to this, let me give you the warning of the Spirit. If you, are doing, if you are doing it, stop it. If you don't stop it, your problem starts tomorrow. Okay, that's for those who are doing it. But if you did it before, it has not passed away. Go and call those people and refund their money. Is your pastor. Where will I get the money from? What did you do with that money? Nobody has to build. They sell houses. Listen, don't pray some stupid prayers. God forgive me. When the house is standing. Don't be silly. You're mocking him. You gather people in the church. They were the, you, knew, you knew it to fail. Your spirit knew it to fail. Your flesh refused to acknowledge it. It has failed on all of them. They are your downliners. You made a few millions. You bought land. Okay, you have not started building on it. The land has gone up in value. Sell that land and share the money. The one that's remaining, put it. Don't get put in your church. Oh. Go out to another church. Give it as an offering. Give to the poor. Distribute the money. Don't let the spirit of this age hold your spirit, your soul down. You can't move far, far with God. Some people are permanently crippled in their, in, in their, in their Christ-like progression. Their progression in Christ-likeness. They can't move forward. What is holding them down a house? You know, this stupid gospel of grace that we preach, which is not in the Bible, is twisting things to our own destruction. You think God will just forget it like that? No. I, I can assure you of one thing. He doesn't. I'm talking about believers. So if you're, if, if it's, it, it's a different story what you did when you are a non-believer. Before you got to know the Lord. In fact, this I'm even talking to pastors. I'm not talking to church members. This is my message now. The one I'm giving in these last few minutes is for pastors. Who use this pulpit to promote all those funny things that bring money into their pocket. At the end of the day, the church members lost money. You must refund their money. You must. Each one has to tell you, Pastor, forget it. Don't worry. Before you are free. Otherwise, call him and say, please, how much did you invest in my downline, I mean, my upline? Because I, I, no, I, this documentary I told you I saw, I, 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 actually I listened to it by podcast over the last uh, few days. When I finished, I, just, I shook my head. I said, my father in heaven. What is going on here? You know, BBC, the only way they like to embarrass people. They filmed the church service. The church people celebrate. And, and they now showed, they said the, car, the pastor drove off in a white you know, Range Rover. After the whole church had registered under him and lost their money. See, let me tell you, if you hear the name cryptocurrency, just assume it's a lie. When they say invest in cryptocurrency, you become rich. It's fraud. The one I mentioned, I just want to give you the name. It's one of those ones. So BBC sat down and did a documentary on it. My own embarrassment point was when I found pastors promoting it. And it was a big fraud. All of this because people love money. So when they are preaching the gospel of prosperity, listen to me, they are not hearing the the gospel of prosperity of the Bible. It is a flesh twisting the truth to their own destruction. And whether he's a Christian, a Muslim, or a pagan, he that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap what? 
corruption. You know what they call corruption? Corruption is not EFCCO. Corruption is everything negative in this life. Premature death is one of them. Sickness is one of them. Home trouble. You know when I say home trouble? I don't mean village trouble. I mean wahala at home all the time is part of it. All of it, the worst, of course, is inability to progress in Christ-likeness. That's what we mean when we say, from the flesh we reap corruption. You know, when we're so fleshly, worldly, we took such a beautiful saying, take the whole world and give me Jesus, I'll still be satisfied. And we say it was a sign of ignorance. That, give me Jesus and give me the whole world. And we felt spiritual. The true gospel of prosperity cannot be understood until that statement makes meaning to you. Take the whole world and give me Jesus. I will be satisfied. If Jesus does not satisfy you all by himself, there is nothing on this earth you can add to him. Nothing on this earth you can add to him to satisfy anybody. That's the true gospel. We need to dig it up. The problem was that we, like I said, we just... Solomon said, take hold of one, don't let go of the other. We took hold of one and threw away the other. I, listen to me. I joined them. I was small. You know, Paul said, this is within the time of ignorance. I joined them to laugh also. Say, this is SK, sense knowledge. That we take Jesus and take the whole world. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is the king. We're quoting scriptures and twisting it. All we are thinking of is, you know, we're angry with the so-called rich. We are going to collect that house with Jesus. Listen to me. The promises of God don't make sense. In the way, you see, if you read the Bible, listen, the truth is this. Eh? Some people just make statements like, the Bible is so simple, anybody can understand it. And I wonder which Bible you are reading. The one I have is not that simple. If you think it is so simple, anybody can understand. I'll give you the book of Leviticus. Explain it to me. <laughs> I will give you Le- Leviticus. Oh, yeah, explain it. The garment of the priest don't confuse you. <laughs> You say, yeah, you've, okay, read numbers. When you get to numbers and you see genealogy, let me drop something there. Listen, I don't know the meaning of those things, but you know they have meanings. Those numbers of the tribe of Levi, there were this number. And of the household of, again, uh, one of the sons, Abiata, there was this number. And they have, look, each number, each number, if you brought out the meaning of it, You'll be amazed. You know, I, I, I stumbled on something while preparing some things for children's um, education the other day. A friend of mine actually sent me something, and it had to do with people who study numbers. So the first time I watched it, I lost interest. Last week, I now watched it again. And the man just saw a simple number. And something in it just showed me that, listen, Banky, the number is seven. Something like 754 and 755. If I, I'm not very sure, but let me not give you the wrong numbers. Forget that one, all right? But I forgot the real numbers. He said, we're just playing. I just told himself that. Let me see the significance of this number. So he tried to break it down. And these were sporting records. And he found out that those two numbers had something unique about them. And the fact that they followed each other made it even more unique. And when you added the prime numbers that produced those numbers together, it was even more unique. You no. Know? Do you know this thing led this man into a new realm of his career? A mathematician. The day he met the, the, the man that produced the, like, something like goals, I don't want to give you details now, like number of goals somebody scored. He met the man that, that scored that higher number, one higher than the other one. He said, he told the man, 
your sporting record changed my life. Now, forget, you say, what are you talking about? That's not, uh, not the details there. But when I looked at him, when I look at him from the realm of the spirit, this one I realized, ordinary number. That each of these numbers in scripture, do you know they have meaning? God just said that uh, there were 25 that went. You think that 25, just 25 like that? If God opens your eyes, eh? Anyway, I've left what I was trying to say. Okay, let me sit down on the real thing. So the Bible, listen to me, it is not as simple as people make it like anybody can read and understand it. It's not true. The Pharisees read it. The whole thing was about Jesus. They saw Jesus, they crucified him. I hope I get my point. If the Holy Spirit does not open your eyes, what is inside the scriptures you can't understand? You can't. You see, the Bible is so simple. If I, 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 I know there's one quote, somebody gave us those days. He said, the Bible is so simple, you need somebody to help you misunderstand it. And we, we, we were quoting it, and we don't want to preach. Praise God, hallelujah. This Bible is so simple, you need somebody to help you misunderstand it. Anyway, the person saying it has already helped us misunderstand it, so let's even not go there. It is not that simple. Let me prove to you it's not that simple. Ethiopian eunuch. Philip got there. Do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I? He said, how can I? Except somebody helps me. Except somebody explains it to me. So Philip said, good, I'm that somebody. Let me explain it to you. By the time Philip explained to him, the man said, hey, excuse me. What stops me from being baptized? The man said, do you believe? Of course I believe. And he was baptized. The statement of the Ethiopian eunuch is so perfect. How can I? Except somebody helps me understand it. I'm going somewhere here. So when Jesus will speak, I'm saying to you, he is, now listen to what I want to say. He's only speaking to the Christ spirit inside you. Without the Christ spirit, every understanding is confusion. We used to say things like, listen, Jesus said, whosoever shall say to this man, say, whosoever, whosoever. If you are just who and you so and you ever. Whosoever. You know, we say all kinds of things. Later I look and say it's a lie. Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He was speaking to his disciples. He was not saying if a, if a sinner soaked in his sins shall say to this mountain, be thou removed. That mountain will be removed and fall on the head of the sinner. That's what will happen. <laughs> when the Lord Jesus was speaking, he was speaking to who? His disciples. And I'm saying to you, he was speaking to Christ-likeness in us. Every, every promise of God is speaking to Christ inside you. That's why Paul said, this is a mystery hidden all the ages. What is that mystery? Christ in you. You know, man fell and became what? Short of what? God's glory. He said, if you want the glory of God, this is how it comes. Christ in you is the hope of that glory. So if you see any promise in the Bible, you have to be grabbing promise. Grabbing promise. The promise is a hope. You look at it. I will get to a place in life where to flow into my life naturally. And how does it flow into your life naturally? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Let's get the point. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is not how to take a promise and manipulate and manipulate life. No. Christianity is understanding that, listen, everything that God ever promised is brought to life if Christ is in me. Please, I hope you are getting my point. So the aim of Christianity is not use prayer to get what you want. The first thing prayer does for you as a person is to change you, remove flesh out of you, cleanse you, like Paul said, of all defilement of flesh 
and of the Spirit and perfect holiness. What was he saying? In effect, he's bringing out to maturity the seed of God that is inside you. That is what Christianity is. That's why I said it by saying that, look, if God says, listen, look, that this problem you are praying about is the only thing that will help Christ come out of you. Let me say something. Some people used to say things like, God does not... How, how do people preach some doctrines? Which Bible do they read? See, people trying to prove to me that God does not ever cause problems for children, his children. I said, it's not true. It is not true. Listen, it is not as if God likes to cause no problems for his children. No. It is that he said, I will not leave you. Neither will I ever forsake you. Now, when we look at that, it's like, God will always be with me. That is true. What it means, however, he said to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have fulfilled all my promises which I made concerning you. What does that mean? Anything that is a hindrance between me and the fulfillment of those promises in your life, anything I find, I will remove it, including if I have to discipline you harshly. Listen to this. Oswald Chamber says something. He said this, he described the sufferings in the life of Jacob. He said Jacob suffered. Believe me, that is, you know what they call suffering? Go and look at Jacob. He suffered. He left his house, his father's house, ran away to his uncle's place. And his uncle, you know, was a wicked man. Laban was not nice at all. He got to Laban's house. The spirit of love fell upon him. He saw Laban's young girl. He fell in love with Rachel. Laban said, walk to marry one girl for seven years. Ha ha. But love, the spirit of love that God poured upon him. The Bible said that seven years was just like seven days. Except that at the end of seven years, they gave him Leah, who he never liked from the beginning. No, wahala. You have not married Leah. He said, but ah, this was not what I, I said. Walk another seven years if you want Rachel. He walked another seven years. Do you understand? 14 years of work to marry two wives. Hmm. The one you really want, one. Now that you have finished paying for your wives through 14 years of work, now start, work for, start working for your own property. You can build a house, buy a car, have investment. Six years. And this man kept on changing the wages. Today, say, I'll pay you 5,000. Say, when did I say 5,000? No. It was 2,500 we agreed on. You will agree again. Bring you 2,500 now. He said, look, there's no money now. Ten times he changed his wages. Jacob suffered. And then when you now marry two sisters who are angry with each other because you married the other person, if one does not have children, you will lock him like this. Say, give me children. Say, do I look like God? Do I give children? <laughs> Oswald Chambers now said, all of this suffering, now listen to what I want to say carefully. Oswald Chambers said, all this suffering was what brought out the promise of God in the life of Jacob. He said, but was the suffering necessary to bring out the promise of God? He said, listen, the promise is not tied to suffering in itself. He said, however, when that promise got into the life of Jacob, the kind of things that promise found inside Jacob. <laughs> Do you get the point? The promise took 20 years to clean out every uncleanness in Jacob so it might be fulfilled. He said in the life of Jacob, yes, the promise needed the suffering. But in the life of Isaac, he did not need that. Now, don't say, hey, in that case, I'm going to be like Jacob. I'm going to be like Isaac. You are not like Jacob, you're not like Isaac, you are what you are. I don't know whether I get my point. But the promise is in your life. So whatever the promise finds there, it will remove. 
What you just need to do is to quickly cooperate with the removal process and not be angry with life. <laughs> you know, many people are just aborting destiny every day. They see small hardship, they are looking for how to get away. You know what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said, wait, wait, wait. When you see hardship, go and pray. First, settle down there. Don't go away. He said, if God keeps your face where they'll be slapping it regularly. He said, keep the cheek there. Then they'll be slapping it. He said, paradventure, one day when they have slapped you so much, God will have mercy. <laughs> you know that's what Jeremiah said? He said, maybe God will have mercy. That was when he said, it is good for a young man to bear his slapping in the days of his youth. They have a saying in Western Nigeria, very beautiful saying. I don't know how to say it in English. It will lose the beauty. It's very poetic. I'll give you in Yoruba later, you, since you understand. Who else understands Yoruba here? See me after. To give the poetic version. The English version is not very nice. He said, if you are not big enough to reject a kind of hardship, he said, if you reject it, you've only signed up for a bigger one. I don't know what I get my point. Yes, it's very difficult. In English, it doesn't sound nice. That is, if they say, Sleep on this ground. He said, no, I can't sleep on the ground. I must sleep on a spring mattress, seven by six, an air-conditioned room. The Yoruba man says that before you open your mouth and make that statement, make sure that you can afford the bed, <laughs> you can afford a room to put it in, and you can afford the air-conditioner you're talking about. He said, because if you open your mouth while you can't afford it, he said, that floor, they won't even give you again. They will send you to the streets. <laughs> Do you get my point? that they will send you to the street and there you will see the kind of punishment you did not know existed. Let me give you in Yoruba. You see, can you see the rhyme? You don't understand the language, but the rhyme is beautiful. Write that down. It's, pro- it's prophetic. <laughs> I, I don't know how to say it in English. It's, you know, in English, it's so difficult to say. Da. They say that, uh, come and walk. We'll pay you 6000 you know, maybe every two weeks. He said, no, I have a PhD in no work. You know that kind of thing, you know, that, whatever it is. He said, there's no problem. He said, now, you think you are too big to be earning 6000 every two weeks? He said, they will hand you over to a place where hunger will so discipline you that this one, the money is small, but at least you are eating. The money is small. You have purpose on a daily basis. He said, if you reject that phase of life, Watch out. That the time will come, you will long for it, they won't give it to you. That was what Jeremiah was saying. That paradventure, God will have mercy. I've seen a lot of young people, you know, every time work is hard, they want to run away. So a man once, he told me, he came. You know? And, you know, some of the things I give you in life, as wisdom, is experience. I have seen things. He came from our kingdom world office, sat me down, told me all the whole story of his life. How God is now helping him. There's one church, they now sent him to go and learn a trade. So he said to me that that's not his calling, that he's not happy. So I'm like, you're not happy. What is the problem? Is that the work is, um, he said it's not your calling. So what else will you do? So he said, I wants to leave the place. I didn't know him. If it's now, and I don't even count. So that, once you start that kind of thing, hey, go and meet Pastor Kimote. He knows how to. <laughs> but those days I had to do foolish things like that, you know, so. Oh. <laughs> giving advice to people <laughs> that shouldn't be giving advice to. <laughs> I don't have that anointing. As anyone, you know, 
I only talk to people that I know. I'm like, we have been studying the word of God together. You understand my point? We know each other. That man came to me that day, he talked, talk, 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 finish. And then he finished talking. I foolishly listened to him. <laughs> I did not know that I was talking to a lazy man. He said his calling is evangelism. <laughs> You know, I hate jobless evangelists. <laughs> they give a man work. The, the, the work was hard. He said that it is not his calling. So he left. Of course, he will now be coming here, coming every time. One day he called me and said, do, do you happen to have food stuff at home? <laughs> like, in my mind, why won't I have food stuff at home? Do you know the size of my family? <laughs> <laughs> that was what he was doing all the time. One time I just got tired of him. There's somebody who I know, who know mutually. I just want to tell him, Ted is your guy. So that one just called him and severely called him to order. And he, don't worry, he kept on disturbing that one. He left me alone. You understand? Then one day my wife saw him on the road. Ah. So my wife came over to me and said, ah, I saw your friend. He said that he thinks the guy is mad. <laughs> yeah. That he was walking on the road, you know, with trouser road, wearing warm bathroom slippers. He said, probably that he thinks the guy is... Is mental. Really. They put you where you should be just learning to walk. He said this is not his calling. All these jobless evangelists, they have a way of getting on my nerves. If you to bend iron is not your calling, then go and do carpentry or carry sand. But don't say it's not my calling. Come and sit at home. They'll be calling me whether I have full stuff in my house. Why won't I have full stuff in my house? And I have my own calling. <laughs> Are you getting my point here? Listen, let me tell you something. If Jacob had left Laban's house early, he would have died early. He would have died early. And you know I've known any Jacob today. In fact, there's something I keep saying. Eh? I may not be 100% accurate, but the principle is 100% accurate. But the, the, the fact, did it really happen? I don't know. Okay? Is that maybe Abraham was not the first girl called. When we studied the book of Genesis, that's when I discovered that the whole of Genesis was written for the sake of one man, Abraham. So the story of Genesis from Adam was going in one direction, Abraham. So any story told apart from Abraham is like what we say an anecdote, you know, something you just add to make this story complete. If it didn't have anything to do with Abraham, they didn't tell the story. Go and read it. The genealogy was drawn from Adam till they got to Abraham. Because we are children of Abraham by faith. So we need to have the story of our father, Abraham. That's why God was not telling the story um, in the beginning. You know, like one billion years before the second bang, I moved 17 stars and 800 billion gal- It didn't have anything to do with the life of Abraham. All you needed to know is that in the beginning, the God of Abraham created the heavens and the earth. I, I hope you're getting my point. That's all. Then he went to how Adam came. Then from Adam, he quickly drew the story down to Noah. And then from Noah, he drew the story to Abraham. Then he slowed down and began to give you details. You see, all the thousands of years before Abraham was summarized in a few chapters. In fact, the way the Bible is is this. The Bible started Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. All right? 
the story was condensed and began to spread out slowly as it was going on. That is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know how many millions or billions of years in that one verse. Even the one that said, and it was the evening and was morning and it was the first day. We don't even know exactly, because that day, I hope you know, it's not 24 hours. You say, why do you know it's, how do you know it's not 24 hours? Because the sun and the moon, they were not made until the first day. So I they count day one, day two, day three. Now, we are using some moon, all of those to calculate our own days. We don't even know exactly how it was. I hope you're getting my point here. Then we'll go to Adam, which was the last, the crown of God's creation. Then the story now became very slow. Took a few chapters. At the third chapter, we are still dealing with Adam. Meanwhile, the whole of creation, the first chapter, we're done with it. The third chapter was talking about Adam. This one happened. Then that pace continued until we got to Abraham. Then Abraham is slowed down dramatically. Began to give us details. Then the man was here. He had a brother. His father is this. Then he and his father, they left. And then his uh, brother died here. His father died here. And he took a wife here. And the story kept on for many chapters. Abraham's story, uh, Abraham's story extensive. Because the whole story was written about him. Now, what am I talking about it, all right? This is why I'm talking about it. Maybe he was not the first that, that God called. The first person did not answer, so his story was not told. Yes. His story was not told. His story was not told. In the same manner, you don't know exactly the details, because sometimes that Jacob man may not have been the first. Maybe there's another person through which God wanted to do something, but in quote, in quote, and I'm not t- trying to draw a parallel. He ran away from the house of Laban. <laughs> then he died, and that was the end of it. Jacob, the one you know, no time to go into details about it now, did not leave Laban's house until God told him to go. That was why he left the time he left. And God, you see, I pray you understand. The Bible has so much details that you have to look closely and patiently to see them. Actions he took on the way, many of them were dictated by angelic visits. For example, when he, when he made the striped animals and spotted animals come out of the ones that were plain, it was not just ingenuity in himself. The Lord appeared to him and told him, this is what you will do. He did what God told him, then we saw the result. The point I'm making is this. The promise in the life of Jacob could not manifest any other way except he tarried in the house of Laban. The promise in the life of Jacob could not manifest except the man relaxed and enjoyed, in quote, his suffering in the house of who? Laban. Laban was not a nice man. Last time I went to a woman came to me for counsel. You know, because we were on a trip, so I, I talked to a number of people. I remember him now, the pastor. When he described where he was working, the kind of Lebanic, the Lebanic treatment his boss was giving. I said, if that's how much this boss doesn't like you, why have you not been changed? He said, actually, she likes the way I walk. I said, in that case, bros, stay there. I said, your work is so good, this woman that doesn't like you will not have you replaced. You walk, I said, forget the, 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 the harassment. Your work is good. If the work was not good, you'll be gone by now. Because where you work, there are so many people on your level. It's like this. The fellow is that high ranking. Like this. They just move from one place to the other. They don't have to sack you. She doesn't have to have you sacked. 
She would just say simply, okay, I don't want this person anymore. I want to just move him. I said, with all this you are telling me, the person is not willing to move you. He said, no. He liked the, I, do. I said, that can stay there. No, I said, what else are you planning to do? No plans. And you want to leave. There's one story, you know, I heard some time ago about a man. The man was working for a big construction company. But it's it basically foreign-owned. So the manager was a white man, a European. So one day the man either retired or he resigned and he left. So he thought that naturally they would promote him into that position. And please, you have to understand that when the company does not belong to your father, there are some demands you can't make. <laughs> he thought they would promote him to that position. So you know what happened to him? The day they announced the new manager, it was not him. They retained him on his former position, and they brought somebody else from somewhere, maybe another white man or another Nigerian, and placed in that position, and he was not promoted. And you know what he did? He had not learned the lesson of Jacob in the house of Laban. He vexed and angrily resigned. I've never seen a Christian who angrily resigned and prospered. When they ban is no when God is banning you, you should just relax. Look, when when, you, when a Christian wants to resign, you cool your head down. Make sure there's no anger, there's no offense. Calm everything. In fact, there's one of our sisters I told that time. She, I saw her, her half I walked and I said she resigned from that place. Why? This is something that happened, and they put her on suspension. And then so she resigned and left. I said, You are very foolish. I didn't tell her you are very foolish like that on the surface. I just heard that what you did is not right. He said, eh. I said, listen, next time. Sever the suspension first. I said, what you have proven to God now is that you cannot be corrected, you can't be disciplined. One of the things I plan to teach today, if we can get there, is that everything in life is a test. Even if they jam your car on the road, it's a test. If you fall down, it's a test. And my plan today was to talk about, and that's what we've been talking about anyway, the laws of sonship. But I wrote that one down, that I'll talk about the laws of sonship. I told her that day, I said, ah, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have resigned. I said, you should have just settled down Served out the suspension. Let me say something to you. Eh? Pride, God hates it. In fact, Derek Prince said it's one of the worst sins in the universe. Pride. Pride is not, I feel proud, man. Ah, you're feeling proud right now. Anybody say, I'm feeling proud right now, you're feeling happy. <laughs> Pride is subtle. Pride is when they just tell you, you know, like, you stay here. Say, why should I be the one to stay here? I'm too big to stay here. That is pride. No matter whether you are right or wrong is your problem. That is pride. I say you walk here, you did something. You cannot be the judge in your own matter. Your superiors judged you and said the punishment is suspension for two weeks or one month. I said next time, my dear, serve out the suspension. When you are finished serving it, come back to work. One month after, give them a month notice. You can't work out why you're on suspension. You have just proven that you can't be disciplined. Even if they were wrong, please serve out the suspension. Return to work. Work one more month. Give them another month's notice before you walk away. Back to the man working for the construction company. So he left angrily. And you shouldn't leave angrily because when you are angry, you can't see properly. He didn't see properly. The person telling us the story that, is it two years or three years? A few years later, a man that was, to be fair, was big enough to be a, constru- a, a, sorry, a manager was living in an uncompleted building with, you know, wrapper. 
and zinc nailed to the window to shut out the elements. That's how much life had dropped the individual. You know, if that guy asked me for counsel, I'll say, give me the name of your manager. Or I'll go to that same company. I'll get, when I get there, I, I kneel down at the gate and use my knee to walk inside. <laughs> I say, I'm the advocate for that moron that used to work here. I have come to beg on his behalf. He's no longer worthy to be called thy staff. I will beg on him. I say, please, demote him two levels. He's ready to work now. Yeah. If they are, if they are, that's, I say, oh boy, come on, let's go. And, when we get there, look, I will roll from this side. You, you roll from that side. We'll be rolling from this. <laughs> we roll up and down. We roll up and down. That is, you know, there's a kind of rolling you will roll. They can't even call security for you because security man comes. You wonder what is going on here. You, you're not fighting. You're rolling on the ground. I say, please, sir. You know, I used to work well. The only comma in my life, God has now removed it. I was on a retreat. I, no, I didn't resign. No. It's retreat. Oh. I went to learn the fear of God. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I have returned in obedience to the word of God. Hallelujah. Honestly. <laughs> That's what people don't understand. I said, ah, resign. This guy, a few years down the line, he was living in an uncompleted building. What does that tell you? He's been ejected from the nice house he had because he didn't have money again. Listen, that's what I meant when I say, listen, anybody tell you that eh, God does not. God, what he's going after in your life, eh? like we're teaching about clicky, the seed. There is a seed. To every seed he has given a flesh. And that seed is what he's going after. Whatever he needs to do, he will do to bring out the seed. You're going to just say, I, I, I claim this promise. Listen, when you have taken... Now, when you have seen the promise, what the promise of God does for you is generally what the Bible calls hope. Hope is not desire. Hope is an expectation. You have seen that this is God's promise, and it will come to pass in my life. Next question is that, what is the obstruction between here and there? Let's clear it. Because the obstruction is in my heart. Sometimes it is impatience, so it appears like time. Because in the realm of the spirit, that time really does not exist. It's either patience or impatience. I hope you're getting my point. No, that time really does not exist. What we call time, time, is as if, uh, let us endure. It is impatience that makes it endurance. I don't know whether you're getting my point. If there was perfect patience, you would not have had a problem with enduring. So when we, see, when we put our eyes on any promise, say, Lord, this promise will come to pass in my life. They will not, you are not struggling. The promise, the promise, no. We are struggling every time. How will Christ be perfected? How will Christ be fully manifested? And back to where we began from. That is actually what God is working on. Bringing forth. That's why I read that portion of the scriptures. That Hebrews chapter 2. Where we read. We wanted to show that what God is doing. Is not what many people are thinking. No. What he is doing in our lives. Is that he is bringing many sons to glory. That is his main problem. His main lack. If I may use that expression of problem and lack. Those expressions. That's the main thing he's doing. Bringing many sons to glory. What is a son? In that context. It's simple. No, no big deal about it. He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. When the Bible uses the word son like that, you must understand what he's talking about. He's talking about the person who is so much like the father, that the father has absolute trust in him. Did you hear what I said? Sonship there is not about 
who gave birth to him naturally. So we, 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 you know, physically, we are so into this DNA, DNA, DNA thing. If you read the Bible, God doesn't give you a hoot about whose DNA physically you carry. Yeah. What concerns God is, whose name are you carrying? Yeah, no, listen, let me explain to you. In the Bible, if a man dies, let, let's assume that there's a family. It's a family of Levi. He has a number of children. One of them, let's just get them. One is Aaron, one is Abiata, one is uh, Judah, whatever. And Aaron dies without his son. You know what the Bible says? What is his name? Abiata. We father his son, and they will call him the son of Aaron. And that's what, that's what matters to God. We tell his, his brothers, hey, father his son. And that, that's what he Marry his wife. She will deliver. And the boy will not bear your name. He bear the, boy, the dead man's name. Why? That name is important to God. So that's why you see in the scriptures, God uses the word adoption. He doesn't care about it. Whether you are adopted, you are not adopted. As long as you are, look, that sonship for him is not about who gave the DNA. It is whose name do you bear who's training you. Because the process of training is where the spirit is being imparted. It's the human flesh that says, look, that's why he said, listen, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Born of flesh is a different matter. What God is going after is a spirit. So when he talks about the spirit of adoption, to him, whether it's adoption or natural birth, they're the same thing. There's no difference. So what he calls sonship in scriptures is who, who is training you? Whose image are you acquiring? It is not where you began from. It's where you are ending that determines sonship as far as God is concerned. I don't know what I hear what I said there. That is why people tell you, uh, once they've always said, hey, don't read the Bible well. You don't read your Bible well. The Bible says clearly that some people entered into the faith. Then they went back to their former ways of wickedness. And their end is worse than their beginning. That it would have been better if they never had the knowledge of the truth. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. With the Lord, it is where you are going. So when he said, this is my beloved son. Listen, it is not the fact that Mary considered the Holy Spirit that was God's issue. When he said, this is my beloved son. Is that who has trained you? What have you learned? What are you practicing? Listen to this. Whose image is this? When you stand, who do you reflect? Do you get my point? Like I said at the beginning, I like a joke. I said many people want to be blessed with the promises of God because they began in the spirit. Paul said, no, it's not just where you began. Where are you being perfected? Do you get my point? Because I gave my life to Christ. God said, wait, 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 wait. But whose image? Mister, I gave my life to Christ. Last time you spoke, I thought uh, Shongo has come down again. The way you scatter fire in that place because of your boiling anger, which did not work the righteousness of God. Do you follow my point? Now, whose image are you? Forget that thing. Don't start telling me that I gave Look, this one, uh, uh, everyone's saved. Yeah, Christian. Nonsense. Because, they, uh, uh, what is his name? John says something. He says, God can take stones and raise sons to Abraham. Don't come and harass me that we have Abraham as our father. He turned to the same people. He said, you are of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus told them. Why? He said, because it is the will of the devil you are doing. So, whose son are you? He's not here. I gave my life eight years ago. Whose will are you doing today? Is what the question is. Whose will are you doing? When he said, this is my beloved son. I said it last time. He wasn't talking about, eh, this is the one considered the Holy Spirit. No. This is the one I have trained this is the one I have given my instructions. 
This is the one I have tested again and again and again. And he has passed all my tests. This is him in whom I am well pleased. That's the meaning of that. When we're talking about sonship, it's not about, oh, he gave me, the, you know. <laughs> did you notice something? That the Bible says, as many as believed in him, what did he give to them? Did he make them sons of God? No, no, you never thought about it. As many as believed in him, he made them sons of God. What did he make them? Power to become. Authority to become. Because becoming is a process. Because becoming is a process. And that is one thing we have not focused on for a long time. And we have been, you know, you see, we have been practicing funny Christianity. Because true Christianity is a discipleship life. I hope, I hope you get my point here. True Christianity is not I gave my life to Christ. True Christianity is that I gave my life to Christ and now I am living for and by Christ. That is, I'm a disciple. Every day I am improving in my reflection of his character. That is true Christianity. That's true Christianity. What we have, which fills a lot of churches, is that, say after me, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, come into my life from today. I am now a child of God. Amen. Amen. Then go back to your normal way of life. And they say you have believed. Listen to me. Most people like that have not believed. They have not believed. Because true believing goes with repentance. Their lives don't change. Nothing is changed. They say they have believed. It's a lie. What Jesus is working in our lives, the main thing he's going after is what I'm saying. That is producing the exact copy of the Father in us. And what is the Father? No one has seen the Father. The only begotten Son, he has made him known. He said to Philip, all this while I've been with you, you are sentient as the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Bible says the exact representation of the image of, of God the Father. That is, we become exactly like Jesus. That is what this whole thing is about. And why did Jesus die? Listen to me. It's to make it possible. It's to make it possible. He cleansed away our sins because maybe next day, I've been thinking about it for some days. I feel like going back to some basics again and start with the concept of sin. For people to understand, sin is very deadly. It's a poison. If Jesus does not wash it away, you can never become like God. It's a perpetual poison. It's what we call a, a latent virus. It just stays inside there. It doesn't go away. That's what sin is like. It takes the power of the blood of Jesus to wash it away and remove it entirely. That's where we start from. Because of faith... We are able to become, but then we will not start the process of becoming. And that's why I said we don't yet see man, but we see Jesus. I hope you are getting my point. He has reached there, but he has opened a way by which all of us can get there. What is a son? What is sonship? That's what we're talking about. It is a person that has been trained by the Father, who has been trained by the Holy Spirit, so that he or she is now an exact reflection of what the Father is. And it's not just in physical mirror thing, but that if you tell the Father, good morning, how will he answer? This is exactly how Jesus answers. I hope you're getting my point. That is the spirit of Christ is in the person. If you bump into the fellow's car on the road, how will he react? I hope you're getting my point. If you, if you, if you find a, a situation in the office, how will this person react? How is he behaving? How does he react to temptation? How does she react to persecution? How does she react, you know, to insults? 
if it is exactly the way the father says his people will react, then you say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I hope you're getting my point here. And let me begin to round off here. That is exactly what the father is looking for. That is precisely what he's currently lacking, which he does not have enough of. You know, don't assume that God just has everything he needs. No, Jesus says not at the point in time. He said the harvest is plentiful. But what? Laborers are few. He now says, beseech the Lord of the harvest, that he will send that laborers into the harvest field. But I want to bring out something from there. Why did he say the harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few? He said it because at that time, he was sending them out two by two into every place that he wants to come into. That is, assuming that his headquarters was somewhere in eastern Nigeria here. So, he wants to come to Enugu. No, Enugu is too big. Okay, let's assume he's in Enugu. So, he wants to go to Ninth Mile. He sends two people. He wants to go to Oka. He sends two people. He wants to go to Unsuka. He sends two people. He, and then he wants to go to Oji. He sends two people. He wants to go to Ezea. You know, that's like that. Everywhere around, he's sending two, two, two. So, all of them will go. Then he starts coming. He comes, spends like a day or two. Each group will have been there for some time before he arrives. Then when he arrives, he just takes up on from where, they, like I said jokingly, they will have reserved the difficult cases for him. You understand my point? They will have taught the basic things. They will have laid hands on the sick. Then there are times they will look at one demon. They say, chain in there. Papa is coming next week. <laughs> Do you understand my point? Now, this is the point. He could not, now listen to what I'm saying. He could not go into any place where his people were not there, already preparing the ground for him. He couldn't. It was going to take too much time. Otherwise, what he would have done is to go there, settle down, teach them for days and weeks. Meanwhile, he had just a few years to complete his work. I hope you're getting my point. So, what he did was he sent 70, two by two. To every, so they will go there, they will preach and preach, they will teach for some days, you understand? They will leave one town, go to another one. Then he only used to go to where they had already gone to. So when he checked all the villages and towns around that they were supposed to go to, he had only 70 that he could send. 35 pairs, you know, 35 sets. He felt bad because he probably had like 200 places to go. So he said the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are what? A few. Now, next question. Did he have only 70 following him? Answer me now. Did he have only 70 following him? Why did he not send only 70? I'll tell you. Because there were only 70 that could be sent. Of the plenty following him, most of them were not worthy of sending ahead of him. Do you get my point? They were not worthy of sending ahead. Follow me, fine. But you are not yet ready to be sent ahead. What am I saying? Let's come back to our modern day. Are you getting my point? For example, Jesus wants to enter into a particular sector in this world, in this our world of today. Let's say he wants to go into governance. I want to come there with my presence, with my anointing. I don't go there until I've sent my two. Do you get my point? Now, when I talked about 70, the point I wanted to make to you is this. Sometimes the two we are talking about, they are hard to find. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Sometimes what? The two are hard to find. That is, he will look to the left and the right. He said, mm, put that man in power. He says, sir, he's, an, he's a cult member. He said, I don't have any Christian to send. The church is full, oh. 
Oh, we have a hundred thousand seater capacity. Jesus said, here, who, me, send anybody to send it here. All of them, a hundred thousand, I can't even send them to a village council. You're talking about Senate. That it is better. Please, I hope you are getting my point. That Jesus said, it is better. Let me know that unbelievers are there. So whatever they do does not bring shame to me. I will do the best I can with the unbelieving people. But these my people you are saying that I should send. Please. They are not ready. The 70 I have, they are now occupied. Life has different sectors. He has different areas. Except that I find two choice disciples. And don't forget this. They are, not even, they are not even God's first choice. Just two disciples. God's choice really are sons. Did you hear what I said? The first choice of God are sons. There are two sons. Send me two sons there. Then they will get that they are the exact representation of the father. Then Jesus can ride into where those people are currently. Listen to me, Christians. Whether you buy a car, you don't buy a car, you build a house, you have plenty of money or not, is not what the problem is with God. It is when I need people, can I count on you? Did you hear what I said? That when I need people, can I count on you? Now, I'm not here to preach politics. I'm not a member of APC. So I'm not campaigning for anybody. But I just want to bring out a story. When Pastor Ndebakari says something about our current head of state, okay? You know, Pastor Ndebakari campaigned for him that last time. Okay? Yeah, it, it, it was running me at the time. Then, you know, so, but he's, 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 been, he's supported him for a very long time. And his reason was because he believed he was a man of integrity and all of that. Now, this is where I'm going. He made a statement I heard from his mouth. When it was time to choose a running mate for him, this is our president, um, our vice president now, Yemi, all right? What the criteria he gave is what I want to talk about. It was a valid testimony from the mouth of Nebakari. Bakari. Of course, you know, this time around, he told Jagaban to pick his, his, his vice, all right? Because of the work he did in having him win the primaries. So he said, okay, you, you pick the, who will be my running mate. But they say he gave just two criteria. That the person had to be young, that is young in their own level. You understand? And the person must not steal. That's where I'm going. He didn't care whether you're a Christian, Muslim, or a pagan. Of course, he knew they would pick a Christian because of the way we balance things in Nigeria. But he said, I just want a young, energetic person. Please, who does not steal? Now, if you think it was easy. <laughs> oh, Father in heaven. See how this is your brethren. They will use all kinds of explanations. They steal. One of the reasons why this man had to pick him was because of all the men that he would call his own. That's Jagaban. He knew that this one does not steal. Because the man that said, pick me a vice president, said, I don't want a man that steals. Whether it was Palatinubu's first choice or not, it's not the issue now. The point is that to find a man that doesn't steal, to find a man that does not steal, he told them clearly, let me tell you something, this life here. Let me tell you something. All the struggle you are struggling to get to places, God, that's how he makes his choices. You won't be there. You just wake up and say, okay, this is the kind of person I want. And then just will go and say, he's not like that. He steals. You have struggled. You have bribed. You have done everything. Last moment, they will just say no. And in the corridors of power, when God says no, you will know he said no. The, the way doors will slam in your face, you wouldn't believe it. Why am I telling the story? Listen. 
What God is saying, listen, all this one of uh, sow a seed for this, sow a seed for that is rubbish. Tell your neighbor, stop sowing stupid seeds. Now, preach that gospel well for me, I beg. We're dropping money in an offering basket because you want to go forward in life. Backward is your portion. Nonsense. You think God is saying, find me who has given me seed. There's one scripture I would like to misquote. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And I say, you bring your sacrifice and make a covenant. That is an insult on that scripture. When God said, he said, gather my saints unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. What was he saying? Is that Psalm 50 or Psalm 51? You know what he was saying, all right? What he was saying is this, listen, gather my people for me, who I have a right to their lives, because they have participated in my covenant by circumcision, by offering, you know, those offerings that he commanded. He was not saying they came to God and brought an offering and said, God, I covenant with you, you will make me prosper. He will slap your face, your head will not be straight again. No, we, we, he will carry scripture and take, and go and read it. When he says, say, gather them unto me, I am angry with them, let's settle matters. He said, listen, I'm not angry because of this. I'm not angry because of this. He said, I've seen all your offerings. He said, they are okay. He said, but you have not offered this. Why? You have not trusted me enough. You have not called upon me in the time of trouble. You are running after other gods. He said, amongst you, to the wicked, I say. He was talking among his people. He wasn't saying, gather my sins some to me so I can bless them. He had a bone. He had a bone to pick with them. He said, so gather my sins unto me. We have to discuss this matter. It wasn't a matter of gather my sins and me bless them. No. Gather my sins. Let's set the record straight. They are not doing well. Don't misquote scripture. If I want to quote the scripture, read it first. Are they vexed, have you? <laughs> Promotion does not come from planting a seed. I've told Christians, this is your seed, so you must stop. Heaven is tired of it. Said, I'm tired of these offerings. Must stop. If you want to give, what do I always say? If you want to give, give. Giving is good, amen? amen? Only unbelievers are not givers. Christians are givers. We are like our father, amen? Please say after me, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. Because, I'm like because I'm like my father. For God so loved that he gave. I also love and I give. Yes. God loves me, I'm a cheerful giver. Say it. Don't say this, I just want to tell you for you. You're not a cheerful investor, you're a cheerful giver. Givers are focused on what their offerings will produce in the lives of the people or the place they are giving it to. They are not focused on what it will bring for themselves. Anybody giving for what you bring for him is sown to the flesh. I heard the other day there's a power in the thousand dollar seed, it's rubbish power. It's what the Bible calls high sounding nonsense. So you place a demand on the seed. If you were God, will you bless you? Just no, think about it. My children want to collect something from me now. They now go to the door of my room. They put 59 there and place a demand on the 59. <laughs> exactly, because of school fees. I'll just say 59, answer them if you have the power to answer them. High sounding nonsense. It's high sounding nonsense. Let's forget all those things. If you want to give, give. Make giving a habit. Once in a while, just, in fact, there are months you just collect your salary. So let's share this thing properly. Just share it out until it finishes. Can keep just 2,005. Keep for transportation. No, listen. Let me just drop something. One day, just give until you are broke. Just give until 
you just finish giving. Just, you know, just say, ah, just give here. Give there. Just look for any good thing. Give money to it. You used to be on the campus, I always say. You had a fellowship. Go back there. Look at their keyboard. Buy a keyboard on credit and pay for the next three months, four months, and dash it to them. Just do something. You don't even have to let them know you are the one that doesn't say, big bro has come. Wrap it and say from an anonymous brother who's grateful for what God did with this fellowship in his life. Or sister. Wrap it and tell, is it Jumia or Conga to go and deliver it? Let some people be rejoicing that you give. I hope you're getting my point here. Yes, be a giver. However, don't sow any nonsense seed. Don't sow any nonsense seed. It's not necessary. If you want to make a request from God, what do you do? Ask. Just ask him. Don't join the two. Having said that, let's get back to what we're saying. It is having proven your sonship that God uses to decide where he wants to place you in life. So that he only sends you where he wants to go. Many people are running up and down looking for where they want to go. In life, what God needs are people that he can send to where he wants to go. And it doesn't send, there was a reason I said to you that he had only 70. It wasn't like he likes not to send many. He said it himself. The harvest is plentiful. Let me modify a word there. But the worthy laborers are few. There are many disciples. There were many following him. He said, but the ones worthy of being sent, they are few. My message is that those who name the name of the Lord, prepare yourself to be sendable. Prepare yourself to be sons. Like we said the other time, except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. We are no longer dealing with those who are looking for what they can get away with as they live their fleshly life. No, we are looking for people. God is saying, who like Paul will say, I have a commandment to preach, but I will go beyond just preaching. I will preach for no charge, for at no cost. I will deny myself, put my body under, I will forsake my rights so I can be more effective with my preaching. That's what God is looking for. Because we keep on crying all the time. Because I do, and I know many people are crying. Like God, why is your power not manifested in this area? We want your power manifested in this area. We keep on praying, both in ministry matters, in secular matters, all kinds of things. And God says, where are the two I will send there? Power doesn't just fall from nowhere. Two must go ahead. And we are saying this, look, even that parable we read all the time, Luke chapter 19. The man said, I need people to take over kingdom. So the master said, look, I need people that will be in charge. All right? When I will have taken the kingdom. But I want to end this message here. We'll continue from this point if the Lord allows us next time. How does he prepare sons? And how do we prepare ourselves to be sons? Do you get my point here? Now, there are two things. Let me see how I noted them. I'm sure I don't leave anything out. Okay, just two things here. There are two things that we need. The second one is what I want to emphasize on. First of all, we have to deliberately go for instruction. Sonship is a training program. I hope you're getting my point here. It's not that uh, I gave my life to Christ. No. I said Christianity is discipleship. Discipleship is just 
forget the big word, disciple. It means a student, somebody who's constantly learning. I must constantly learn, that is, deliberately. Like you've taken time out this evening to come and listen, that is one thing. Every day, you know the way people, you know, we read business books, we read all these kind, all kinds of books to improve our lives. We go to school, as an example. We have to pass four years to study, you know, a particular course. Five years to study a particular course. We read and read and read, preparing for exam. Spiritually, that's how it is also. Spiritual learning is also done deliberately. It's like something happens. Say, how am I supposed to react when things like this happen? Then you take a book and you start reading. With prayer, you start reading. You know, with prayer, you start studying. You deliberately start learning what is the mind of God. How do I handle this man- matter in a manner that it will be pleasing to God? That's the first question. The no, first, uh, first activity. The second one I said is one I want to emphasize. Then you realize you are going to be tested. And for that reason, you prepare for the test of God. Let me say this to you quickly. Whether you prepare by studying or not, you will be tested. Did you hear what I said? Those who prepare and those who don't prepare, both of them will be tested. And both of them will be marked as if they were supposed to have prepared. I said something the other time. That I guess to a point in the life of a believer, God holds you responsible for what you don't even know. You can't use ignorance for a long time. A time comes in which he says you should know. He said, no, no. He said, but I, don't, I did not know. He said, but the time for learning passed. You did not go to learn. But like I said, that's the second one I'm talking about. The emphasis on being tested. And as believers, we must, believers, we must recognize, listen to this, that every day I am being tested. That's what I want to live with. You must recognize that what? Every day I am being tested. And everything that comes to you in life, when you have to make a decision, make sure you remember it's a test. A test from God. So when you're in the office, what you call temptation, stop thinking as if, look, I think let's go beyond the level of thinking of temptation as temptation to sin. Let's remember now that it's an exam I'm taking. As a husband, as an example, my wife does something to me. When I want to react, I just tell myself now, okay? Just know, Banky, this is an exam. Do you know there's a way you will handle situations when you know it's an exam? Yes. If you know it's an exam... There's a way you will handle it. There's a way you will not talk. There's a way you will not act. There's, there are things you will not write once you are aware it's an exam. Let me give you an example. You know, you are doing WhatsApp chat, you know. We use all kinds of, in fact, we deliberately spell things wrongly. You know why? We know it's not an exam. There's a way you behave when you know something is a test. Many of the things we call temptation to sin, we think, well, God saying, oh, why, what are, why are you doing? what are you doing, you know? Is this a sin? It's not a sin. But if you realize that this is my promotion examination, you'll behave differently. I hope you're getting my point. If you know it is your promotion examination, you will behave differently. You can say, ah, I only asked that man like that because you know, I needed to tell him something. But if you know it's an exam, you say, wait, oh, my, my wife, if I answer this man like this, we will pass or fail. He said, according to what we read last week, my husband, this is not a failure. So let's not answer him like that. Let's answer him the way the Lord will say. Okay. Good morning, sir. We are very, very displeased with what you did, but in the spirit of Christ-likeness, we have decided that we'll overlook. <laughs> before you wanted to say, Oga, listen, before I, was a, before I became a believer, me too, I was a thug. <laughs> you know? 
That was what he wanted to tell him. But when your wife said, honey, you know it's an exam. You will look and say, well, whoever talks, no, all things have passed away. You know. <laughs> Do you get what I'm going to say here? There's a way we react. One, today I was just thinking, this is where I'm going to end this. I'm so happy the Holy Spirit allowed me to end it here. Believers must realize in life, everything is a test, including how you report to work, how you do your work, how you answer your neighbor, how you take vengeance on your own matter. I hope you get my point. There are times God allows somebody to offend you because he wants to know whether this boy or this girl has learned the ability to forgive. There are times he looks and hey, this guy, what is his name? Joseph. Is he going to endure on the throne of um, Pharaoh in Egypt? The angel said, Thou knowest, Lord. He said, Let's prove the sonship in that area. Send his brothers in. They will send the brothers in. So I've trained him. Remember that wise man in Egypt I sent to him? He reminded him of all the things his father taught him, and I gave him new words. And listen, God sent angels to teach people. Yes, he did that. God used to do that. He used to send people to Jesus Christ as a person. Yes. Oh, yes, he was taught. You think beloved son is just going to, they, they bomb me by a virgin? No. Beloved son is that, you saw Moses, right? You saw Elijah. They were his messengers. They used to bring him a word from heaven. That's why I told the boys, come, let me go and introduce you to some people. He took three of them. James, John, Peter. Come, let me introduce you to my friends. Ah. <laughs> Spiritual things are real. The spiritual things are real. Jesus was fathered by God the Father himself. When I say fathered now, training. Yes, he was trained. And he had to be tested accordingly. What I've said is a matter of fact. He, he was trained and he had to be tested accordingly. So in the same manner, God probably sent angels to Joseph. I don't know. I don't know how he handled Joseph. Send different people to Joseph. And I said, let's, let's test him. So his brothers will now walk in. Listen, every time in life, that your test does not end. I hope you get my point. The test doesn't end. Promotion in life is always a result of examination. So you've appointed Joseph on the throne. Will he endure or will he not endure? It's another question. Because appointing somebody on the throne is one thing. Will he stay or will not stay is another thing. Many people should change their destiny. You give a pastor pulpit, give him 2,000 person uh, congregation. God now say, let's see whether he will endure or will not endure. Then... One of these pyramid schemes will show up. The man would turn the church members to downliners. God would say, he will not endure. It was a temptation. He said, oh, guy, we, 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 we can use... One day, one of our guys, the guy who did, did our website, was doing some correction on it. He saw the number of hits on the web, website a month. He said, ah, he said, oh, guy, wow. We can do something with this. Though. You know, when he saw the number of hits on our website, ah, he said, oh, guy, we can do something with this. I said, like what? Say we were some Google AdWords and all of that. And I said, why didn't Google put, I'm adding my own words now, on their own homepage, they didn't put any adverts. It's my own, you will now put adverts. <laughs> you are not serious. Their own, have you know that Google homepage is clean? It is the most, it's about the most, what they said, is the most expensive digital real estate in the world. They refuse to put anything on it. People will give them $10 million a day to just put Toyota. They don't put. I say, in a kingdom where you will come put. I told the brother, I said, listen, do your work. Leave that thing. No, people have tried to take advantage of the fact that the name Pastor Banky is no. I said, no. Thank you very much. We are not selling anything. 
just put some Google ads here, and then that will maintain the website. Did I tell you that money was the problem? People have told me before, sell the first 30 seconds of your radio broadcast. They can arrange with the radio station. They'll get a sponsor for it. So at the end of the day, Coca-Cola will be sponsoring the gospel. I don't get the point. Now, how do you explain that? <laughs> how do you explain it? I said, no, leave it like that. That's not what the Lord has led me to do. These things come up all the time. They come up all the time. In Joseph's case, time to, to test him, send his brothers in. Let me tell you something. God was looking at it. And let me say this. The justice of God means that if Joseph failed that, he would not have lived that long on that throne. The best God can do to him, do for him, or what God could have done for me if he failed, was to give him an opportunity to repeat. You can't want to endure on your throne and you'll be failing his test every day. A day will come. He will say to Samuel, tell that guy I'm replacing him. From the day God tells a man he's being replaced, he finally leaves the throne. It may be five years. It may be ten years. Saul was rejected early in his throne, in his reign. But he lasted, well, there may be a confusion here for a Bible student, all right? But after studying it, Saul lasted, I'm convinced, 12 years on that throne. 12 years. There are so many things you hear from different places. But my understanding, after I put everything together, Saul lasted 12 years on that throne. At least 10 years of that throne, he had been rejected. So, there, listen, and it was no longer redeemable. Once that pronouncement was made by Samuel, that was the end of it. Because after that, Samuel was on his house to the house of David. So you cannot afford to be failing God's test all the time. Listen, you are in your office. People say that this is how they survive in Nigeria. It's okay. Are you getting my point? But just know that you are failing. Your way of surviving in Nigeria is repeat, repeated failure of divine tests. Is the reason why one day, at the age of 58, they will tell you you have retired and you will be poor. And you won't understand why. Meanwhile, you don't so see tired. Somebody says, sow a seed towards retirement benefit. You don't sow. And then when God wants to punish you away, you know what he do? Your gratuity. One pastor will show up. You know what I mean now? <laughs> God said to me that anything you give today, within one month, is going to return it 20-fold. Government and your company money to pack six million for you for gratuity. Because you won't spend it. Just watch me. We'll send one pastor for you. As you give unto her, you will go and reach out before your wife. Say, ah, honey, welcome back. How was the meeting? Say, it was good. What happened? <laughs> honey, we don't make up. Say, oh God, what did we make up? <laughs> Say, we sowed the seed. He said, no, my husband, not the gratuity money. He said, wait, now in one month, it's coming back 20-fold. And she looks at you and says, how could you have believed that? Then the skill you ask will drop. Did I just believe that? <laughs> God said, wait, when I was telling you that time, retrain yourself, pass my test. Passing my test many times will mean enduring hardship. You said, no, this is how they survive in Nigeria. You have survived in Nigeria, and that was 15 years ago. You forgotten. Now I've retired you now into poverty. What I have said to you is the way the Lord behaves. Let nobody tell you that, no, God is a good God. He never does that to his children. They do it to themselves. I think I should make that one clear. You know, my, I think God has given me an anointing. Somebody say, yes, an anointing. Yes. <laughs> to teach the fear of God. <laughs> no, people have to fear God. We're treating him anyhow. We have to fear God. Every day tests are coming our way. 
Everyday tests are coming our way. We must pass those tests so we can enter into the place of sonship where we can represent the Father, where we can solve, please pardon me to use the expression again, solve the problem that he has. That is the fact that sons are few. When he says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We need to talk about it again. Until people stop thinking that it means to hear their spirits. No. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, who are the sons, means that everything they do is done with the same principle, the same motivation that was inside Jesus Christ, which we will easily find Paul talk about in that book of Philippians. Let's bow down here. Let's pray. Let's give the Lord thanks for the word that we have heard today. Let's give him thanks. Let's take three minutes, each person. Pray. I don't know what you are going to say, but pray. As I was speaking, the Lord was speaking to you. Pray. I don't know what we are going to say, but pray. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. It's one thing you can say. Forgive me of my transgressions. You now know, you know what that means. Where I have continually failed my tests. Say, Lord, give me another, give me more training, give me another test. Lord, I will not stop short of sonship. Full maturity. Full maturity. That's what God is going for. Full maturity. Full maturity. Full maturity. That's what the Lord is going for. Everybody pray. As I was preaching, the Lord was speaking to you. As I was teaching the word, the Lord was speaking to you. You need to respond to that thing. Full sonship. Full sonship. Full sonship. Full sonship. Full sonship. 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 That's what we are going for. In which we are the exact image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The exact image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are going for. Full sonship. Let's continue to pray in areas where the Lord had ministered, ministered to us and ask for grace. Please pray that in this process of becoming his son, the Lord will help you. That as a test comes, you will pass. The ones that you have failed before, we've heard that the Lord will cause you to repeat. Just ask for grace and say, Lord, help me. That everything in life, every situation in life, that I will react, I will act like I know that is a test. Whether in plenty, whether I, it could be prosperity, it's not just that difficult times. It could be in times of prosperity, in times of, you know, real health, when everything is well. Just ask that in all, whether in poverty, whether in plenty, I will just understand that God is testing me for the next level. And I just receive grace to scale through. Father, we give you praise. Thank you for your word that you have sent. Thank you for your spirit that came with your word, your spirit to do. Lord, we just thank you. I will receive these words with thanksgiving. We receive these words with power. And we go in this power that you have you know, injected into us today. We thank you because we know that you are the one that is at work in us, helping us to please you. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise because we are coming out as good. We are coming out as good. We thank you because we have been energized again. You have encouraged us again. You have empowered us. You have instructed us. You've set us in the path of righteousness again so that we'll become full sons, 
for your glory. That is where you're taking us to. That will become like you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord keep you in your going out and coming in. May you not do evil. And may evil not meet you. The Lord cause strangers to help you. You will enjoy the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit this week. And the Lord will open your eyes to see new things. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, surely we have passed out of death and we have passed into life. We have passed out of darkness into the light of Christ. We have passed out of under the curse into the blessing. All things are passed away in our lives. We are now filled with the Spirit of Christ. We live above sin and walk above the devil because we are seated high above with Christ. This is my multiplication, dominion, and manifestation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be-